Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast season seven. I'm your host, journalist Holly Rubenstein, and here each week I'll be speaking to a very special guest about their life's travel diaries. From the first place they fell in love with and their all-time favorite destination to their hidden gem and what's at the top of their travel bucket list, we'll be uncovering their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. Oh, it's felt like ages. Actually, it's also gone so quickly, but it's felt like ages. I'm so happy to be back. A little later than I'd hoped, I had a brutal COVID norovirus combo. Oh dear, that was awful. So uh, that took me out of the game for a little bit and I'm just really happy to be back and releasing episodes with you again. I hope you're all well and that you've maybe had a chance to travel somewhere since we last spoke in these last few months. Let me know if you've been anywhere exciting. You know where I am. I'm at Holly Rubenstein on Instagram and Twitter. I always love to hear from you. Oh, and actually something really exciting. This season, I am including a listener special. So I'm calling on all of you to help me create an episode of all of your favorite places. You might have seen me post about this on Instagram already. I've already received some fantastic entries. But what I'd love for you to do is, yeah, answer one of these chapters on your phone, on your voice notes, and then email your answer to the Travel Diaries podcast at gmail.com. That's the Travel Diaries podcast at gmail.com. Not only will you, of course, be on the podcast, which I hope will be quite exciting, but every answer that I include in the episode will be the first to receive my new Travel Diaries merchandise. I have been working on that in the time since I've spoken to you with an incredible atelier in France called Atelier Rosemood, who create custom notebooks and stationery. And they have created a stunning, bespoke, gold embossed travel diary with a beautiful palm on the front. I can't wait for you all to see it. So um, that's exciting. And another bit of really exciting news, actually, is that the podcast has won an award. I am so thrilled and flattered about this. There is a big industry, uh, travel industry awards called the Trav Media Awards and the podcast won Broadcast Programme of the Year. And it was nominated alongside you know, BBC programmes and uh, radio shows. And I was just so honoured to be recognised with the podcast. So that was a very exciting moment. What else? I took my first flight took <laughs> just to Edinburgh. But I uh, ripped off that band-aid. You know that I don't love flying, guys. So uh, it was good to get back on the horse again since uh, pre-COVID times and uh, hope to fly some other places uh, further afield in the next few weeks. I haven't been that many places, actually. The one trip I wanted to update you on was to one of my fave hotels here in the UK in uh, the New Forest. I love the New Forest. I I just can't get over the wild horses there. I love wildlife, so... Just seeing them everywhere is just gorgeous. Um, We stayed at Chewton Glen. We stayed in one of their very special tree houses, which are incredible, are built among the canopy of the kind of forest that is by the main country house there. Um, We went, you know, it was pure springtime in that bit of amazing hot weather that we had. And we just took some lovely beach walks, saw their lovely teddy bear lambs that they have in the grounds there, um, ate loads of delicious food. They've got two great restaurants and of course it's world famous spa. So um, a big thank you to Chief and Glen for allowing us to have a few days respite between viruses. <laughs> and I hope to share some more travel experiences with you as the season goes on. 
So I'm actually starting the season with a little destination special mini series for a few weeks. Three incredible destinations. All of them are genuinely on my travel wish list and some great celeb guests helping us to bring them to life today being no exception. We are heading on a journey to Southeast Asia today to a small but mighty 30 mile long tropical island surrounded by 62 smaller islands with Malaysia to its north and Indonesia to its south. It is, of course, spectacular Singapore. And beyond Singapore's jaw-dropping skyline and bustling city centre that you know you might picture when you think of it, there's so much more about this country to explore. And I have two guests who will help us do just that. First, Michelin-style chef, TV presenter and author Tom Kerridge returns to the podcast. You know, when he joined me all the way back in season two, he picked Singapore as his all-time favourite destination. And so... I thought who better to come back. He is so passionate about the country and food is so important in Singaporean culture that a common greeting is actually, have you eaten? (laughs) I love that. Um, And then we'll be joined by novelist, editor and travel journalist, Annabelle Thorpe. Annabelle spent six years on the Times travel desk before becoming deputy travel editor for Express Newspapers and then taking the same role at The Observer. And she has a particularly soft spot for Singapore. She's visited and written about it many times. So she shares so many insider tips and expert recommendations. A lot of you have asked me about my episode show notes, which I always mention where all these tips will be written. You just need to scroll up when you're listening to the episode and it will show you the bullet points that I am... list all the destinations that have been recommended and and often include hyperlinks as well so just to make your travel planning that little bit easier okay right let's get started here is the delightful tom kerridge tom kerridge welcome back to the travel diaries podcast it is so nice to see you again how are you I'm very well, thank you, mate. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm really, really well. My gosh, what a lot has happened since season two when you last were on. Yeah, I imagine the travel diaries have been pretty empty. (laughs) Well, it has been full of, you know, armchair travel and wanderlust. Reminiscent stories. Exactly, exactly. This is a few days uh, after the announcement of the world famous Michelin stars and a huge congratulations because both the Hand and Flowers and the coach Amalo have retained their two with my Michelin stars respectively. So you must feel pretty chuffed. Yeah, it's fantastic. You know, it's brilliant for the team that, that for the Hand and Flowers, that's 10 years now that in that it's been sat in that two star level, which is amazing. And you know, the best thing about the Hand of Flowers is there's so many people that are in that business that have been there from before when it was a one-star space all the way through now to, to you know, over that 10-year journey. So it, it's it's got so many people that are embedded in it, in its history, in, its, in the way that it operates, in the way that it works, so that, you know, it, it feels very solid and dependable and it's a lovely space to be. And then for the coach, you know, so it's Sarah's the new head chef there. She's been there yeah. for... Um, for you know, it was a big thing for her to maintain that that level and that star, which has been fantastic. So she's super chuffed. You know that when you have that weight of the shoulders of a of a Michelin star to maintain it, yeah. it's You know, she's an exceptional cook, and she's been within the company for ages. And for her point of view, yeah, she's so so pleased, and I'm so pleased for her. And and today, you know, we're here obviously to talk about spectacular Singapore. Going back to the Michelin stars, I, I, do you keep a track of, you know, who is being awarded what around the world? Because I 
know that in Singapore, they really kind of broke the the boundaries in a way in the sense that these couple of street food vendors a few years back were, were awarded Michelin stars. And that really shook things up and was really exciting because their mains were like $6 as opposed to, you know, $60. Yeah, the, the great thing about the Michelin Guide is it's recognized worldwide, you know, and you, it, it's not based on cost is based on consistently good cooking and that, mm. and that's it and it and, and that's the lovely thing everyone used to think that Michelin star restaurants are are expensive and they normally are they're like don't get me wrong they're much more expensive than a normal kind of restaurant and that is basically because the produce that they use and the people that are employed by it they're all you know they're, they're, there's an all-round experience but it is always based on food and food consistency and, and really good cooking. And it's been wonderful that the, the Mission Guide had recognised that it goes beyond just restaurants now, that, like hawker stores in Singapore yeah. have received Mission Stars because they do consistently good cooking of using great produce and serving it day in, day out, like at this really high standard and this really high level. And Singapore for me is... Um, it is one of the most incredible food destinations in the world, solely because it takes influence from all over. You know, whether, yeah. whether, whether it's Chinese style cooking, whether it's Indonesian style cooking, whether it's um, European style cooking that comes in. You know, there's so many different influences. Indian, I mean, some of the best Indian meals I've had have been in Singapore. You know, there's this, this, this incredible kind of melting pot of cultures and uh, food knowledge that it just sits all over the, the city that you can eat in many different spaces. So you can eat street food, hawker stores, you can eat late at night, three o'clock in the morning, you know, and still get brilliant, brilliant, brilliant food. Or you can go to some of the best top end dining, three Michelin star restaurants and, you know, and blow a budget of huge amounts where you can eat some of the finest ingredients that mo a lot of it is, in, I mean, imported from around the world. You know, we all know that Singapore is very short on space in terms of growing and farming. So most ingredients are imported for particularly at top end level. So things like foie gras and truffles and, uh, and lobsters and, you know, there's a lot of things that come in but then they utilize and used in such a fantastic way in incredible top-end restaurants and that that's why singapore is so special as a food destination because it it, it just touches so many different areas cost you know but also culture also you know geography you could i mean you could eat around the world in singapore yeah. and then and and then it's such a, a magical place to explore because it's incredibly safe. It's wonderfully clean. You can be wandering around the streets at two, three in the morning and it feels completely normal. There isn't like a dark, sinister side. There's a kind of like, there's this, if you, you know, if you're wandering around the streets three o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, uh, on a Saturday morning somewhere uh, in a dodgy part of town in the UK, you've got your hand in your pocket where you're going to get mugged in certain parts. You know what I mean? In Singapore, it's just like, should we go and have something to eat? Should we go yeah. and sit down and go and like, there's this vibrancy of nightlife and, and energy that, that I, you know, I'm so surprised in Singapore about how much it is about food. I mean, if you talk to people who live and work or are from Singapore, you know, at breakfast time, they talk about what they're going to have for lunch. At lunch time, they talk about what they're going to have for dinner. And at dinner time, they talk about what they're going to have for breakfast. You know, it's this <laughs> constant conversation about food. And it's a magical space to be.
So when you came on the Travel Diaries on season two, you picked Singapore as one of your kind of all time favorite places to to visit. And today we're going to do kind of abridged format of the normal Travel Diaries episodes focusing specifically on Singapore. Let's get started with chapter one, uh, which is the first place that you fell in love with in Singapore. I went there was one night where um, we I was working. We were doing a gig representing british pubs and we were cooking in a uh, in a hotel out there and it was uh, we did the sunday brunch and it was a big day so sunday brunch is a massive thing in singapore it's not something we reckon sunday lunch in the uk everyone goes to a pub for a sunday lunch great but the the brunch in singapore is massive isn't it they understand that and it goes on all day <laughs> you know and it goes on all day it's an event uh, it's an event. It's a buffet-style event. And that was such a special thing to see or be involved with because it suddenly restaurants turn themselves almost upside down. So they go from doing this three-course a la carte kind of menu to doing this beautiful laid-out buffet where chefs are cooking at different stations in front of you and, you know, and, and constant things constantly. It's like an amazing wedding that you go to, except it's every Sunday in pretty much every hotel. Are they in... All the rest restaurants and hotels, or is it hotel driven normally? Hotel driven, hotel yeah. driven, but it, it's somewhere where it is quite often hotels are for residents, but actually it's it, everyone goes to the hotel to have something to eat. It's not mm-hmm. just for people who are staying the night. Yeah. So it's very much ingrained in that, in that culture. And that, that was incredible. Like that to see that would be a part of that was. Uh, absolutely brilliant like you know it's, it's a very different vibe it's very different understanding and to think that that goes on every Sunday is amazing and and how about then what were your first impressions of the country when you first arrived there for the first time you know when you got out of the airport terminal like yeah what did you think warm humid um this is this is going to take a little bit of getting used to but actually it wasn't that bad like we got you you acclimatize or i acclimatize quite easily you you know it becomes you know when you go inside all the buildings are incredible so the new build buildings i mean it's all the air conditioning it's all set up it's it's, like it's incredibly clean and it's almost um when you, when you arrive and you travel from the airport in for into the center of town and you see the the structure the infrastructure of a city that's been created it's a little bit like a dc comic in terms of like the high rises and the and the way that you can see that it's built on a, a port you know as you go in on the left hand side there's this huge port that the, you know with shipping containers and the big cranes and then to the right of you you've got these incredible sky rise buildings and it's warm and palm trees and you just go it's it's so alien to living in the UK where we have four seasons you know that you go through and, and so if you get to Singapore where it's pretty much relatively consistent in terms of temperature all year round and then you know the infrastructure of these great big new buildings and there was always some there was always something being built so there's huge amount of um, you can see the regeneration or construction of new build, new things going on, new energy. It feels alive almost 24 hours a day. It's like this this thing that's just growing and growing and growing. It's got this wonderful kind of rhythm and energy to it. And and you absorb that yourself as a traveller? 
Straight away. I mean, it's, so cool. it's, it's incredible. I, 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 I'm very lucky that what I've done, you know, in terms of career and job, I've been able to travel quite a few parts of the world. And, you know, one of the first things I want to do when you get into the hotel is dump the bags, get in a taxi and just drop it in the middle of town and just go for a walk mm-hmm. to spend 15, 20 minutes trying to wander around and trying to feel where you're at, trying to get a vibe, trying to get an understanding, you know. And if you follow your nose and your instincts, you normally end up in the in a town square or you end up in a in front of the town hall or you end up in front of a big museum or, you know, you kind of will feel where you're at and you begin to absorb the, the energy of a space. And it only take, I don't know, 20 minutes, half an hour of just having a little wander around the city and you begin to feel the pace of things and mm-hmm. where things are and what's happening and you, you start to get an understanding and that's a really nice and Singapore is such a lovely place to do it because it, like I mentioned earlier it's super safe it's really clean it's a, it's got a great energy and people are really friendly as well you know you ask people questions they genuinely you know happy makes such talk a difference to you. it makes a big big difference yeah. it, it's an incredible place to visit so chapter two then is your all-time favorite destination in Singapore so that could be a number of places. I bet. Uh, yeah, and, and it's really difficult because it depends on what it is you want to go for and where the sort of vibe that you're looking for. So we did at that point. I was still drinking, so that, that's the last time I was in Singapore. So I went out with the chefs, and we had Singapore things at the Marina Bay Sands, and you sat there with that kind of what is that big kind of like boat that's on the top of three (laughs) separate towers with that infinity swimming pool and just looking over the incredible city and you can see kind of like where the road track is for the Singapore Grand Prix that's at night time and and you just get all that um the vision of the city particularly at night time it's magic the lights the way that it works is just incredible so you know that but that feels very like quite a very corporate very i mean it feels a very touristy thing to have done it feels that like it's not really under the skin of being in singapore however it's a real cool thing to be doing which you should do when you're there yeah but for me probably um the 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 best thing is we were taken out by a journalist. We finished one night and one of the journalists, we finished cooking about 11, 30, 12 o'clock, said, come on, let's go and have something to eat. So a journalist that was eating what we were cooking or whatever, I was very friendly, said, come on, and took three of us out, three chefs. And we went in, um, and ate in three different, kind of like Hawker store, different types of restaurant, you know, um, clay pot, um, pork, uh, liver, which was lovely. Uh, the guys had Singapore crab. I mean, I couldn't have it. Sadly, I'm ele- uh, allergic to um, shellfish. So, oh, it, no. so, so sadly, I didn't have it. The guys absolutely loved it. And you're sat on kind of plastic seats in a in a back alley at two o'clock in the morning, eating brilliant, brilliant food. There was, a, I remember, an incredible aubergine dish that was just just stunning. A vegetarian, like kind of like fried crispy with this wonderful kind of like red heating that comes from this chili paste and it was Mm. just it was just absolutely delicious and then afterwards going to try going out for durian fruit which is you know i mean it's something that you know i mean it's it's for me it's not my favorite thing tell me about that what is that so durian fruit is it's known as stinky fruit. It's not allowed in hotels or planes, and it's kind of a delicacy. And it's this great big kind of like green, um, spiky looking, like a giant pineapple, I suppose. But uh-huh. inside, um, there's this beautiful kind of like custody style flesh and a stone that's in it, but it is pretty pungent. I mean, what does it smell really, of? Like what kind of mm, a little bit blue cheesy, right? 
crossed with a drain kind of <laughs> like however the i mean some people absolutely love it but it, it, it's de- most definitely an acquired taste and and it is the warmth and the humidity of the streets and you're in the markets and there's lots of these do and they and they're incredibly expensive i mean it's a very specialized and beautiful um kind of way of eating that the uh, that is ingrained into singaporean culture that, how interesting you know, so how do they prepare it so that it feels like a delicacy literally just well, to eat it yeah exactly you cut the big thick green rind off and you expose that kind of like custody kind of stone fruit flesh underneath and it, it and it's they, they can be incredibly expensive i think they go i think the cheapest around about 20 quid and they can go up oh. to about 150 quid they, they're, they're pretty you know it's a big old delicacy thing I, and but they sit around on plastic seats and they enjoy it like there's a kind of a social thing about it but the warmth that's still there at three o'clock in the morning and the, and the smell of these fruits and the but the noise of the market and the thing that's going like there's a real energy so whether you like or dislike durian fruit it doesn't matter the fact that you're out and about and part of the culture yeah and those kind of places are i imagine what you would consider to be hidden gems and and chapter three is your hidden gem in Singapore, is there a place that you would recommend to my listeners that you discovered that you would like to share? So there is, and it's not there anymore, but it's even more of a hidden gem. Okay. And it's not that hidden anymore. It used to be a very small, beautiful restaurant called Restaurant Andre. Mm -hmm. And a chef was there called Andre Chang who cooked an incredible meal and we loved everything about it. It was absolutely brilliant. And Andre's moved on. And there, it's now called Restaurant Zen, and it is the offshoot of Franzen, which is a three mission star restaurant in Stockholm. Um, and it's now Zen also has three mission stars wow. um, in Singapore, and it's headed up by a chef called Tristan Farmer, who's um, someone who I, I I worked with very briefly on a on a kind of a cooking gig when we were in Dubai. Uh, who's an in- incredible young chef, um, brilliant driven force, and an exceptional, exceptional cook. So he's gone on and won three Michelin stars, I- implementing that kind of like Scandinavian Nordic style cuisine, but using these wonderful ingredients. And that's so that's Restaurant Zen in Singapore. So it, it's a beautiful, small restaurant, but incredible, incredible cooking. Oh, great tip. I mean, it is a destination, isn't it, where a lot of the top celebrity chefs want to open an outpost so what what is it I mean you've you've obviously brought to life about how you know the the food scene is so vibrant and that Singaporeans love their food so much as well is is it that that is the driving force behind the chefs choosing to open up in Singapore would you say yeah to be honest I think it's a combination of everything it's it's obviously um a, a city that is quite relatively affluent you know there's a lot of um there is quite a bit of eating out dining experiences people have money there there is an opportunity for people for restaurants to survive if you're good you know there is there is a marketplace for people to go and eat there but also there is an un, uh, like an understanding and an ingrained culture of food and also the, I, I think the people's interest in it is is massive whether whether you're Singaporean or whether there's a lot of expats there. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of like city banking expats. So whether it's Brits, whether it's Australian, whether it's Americans, there's a lot of kind of not just tourists but overseas uh, residents that uh, are looking for eating out, exciting things. But also because Singapore doesn't grow, 
it imports. So there's always a very, there's a driven interest there from the people within Singapore who live there, um, whether they're Singaporean um, background or whether they're expat sort of background, that they're always looking for something to eat, something new, something exciting. And because it hasn't necessarily got its own, there is a small line of Singaporean cuisine. This is what we do and this is great. But it's very embracing of all sorts of different cultures and all sorts of different influences. And there is a culture there that because it is progressive and it's rolling and it's moving and that there feels that there's an energy, trying new spaces, eating new chef's food, going out for different cocktails, being a part of a food scene. There's a vibrancy and an energy. So it doesn't matter quite what you're bringing out there and what you're doing. As I think if you're good, people are very interested in trying it. There, mm. There's no... I, I, there's no kind of like old fashioned st- sticking your nose up at going, well, this isn't what happens in Singapore. There's a, there's a much freer nature to, to Singaporean life. Um, and that's not just about food. That's everything. I think, you know, there's a real vibrancy for, for growth progression, both in food, but also in business in you know, things, things get done in Singapore. Yeah. Actually, when we spoke last, I think you were telling me about how you were bringing the potato to life in Singapore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because obviously they don't, they don't grow potatoes. So we were having to import special, you know, chip style potatoes that would work with the right um, sugar and starch content so that we could make great potatoes out in Singapore when we were doing chips. So, yeah, it was, a, it, yeah, it was trying to work out how we can import and what we can do and how we can get things through and, uh, and, and, and over. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers? 
just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. And how about if we, you know, you've brought to life so many amazing different dishes. Is there one, if I'm going to Singapore, that I absolutely must order? Yeah, 100%. And it's the one that I couldn't have. And it's the Singaporean crab. And it's the one that everybody, all the chefs loved it. My, when my wife came out, and she absolutely loved it. And it's got that kind of like this whole crab that's been cooked and cracked and with that Singaporean flavors that go through it almost like Szechuan style. And you break it and flake all the meat. And it, like that's the one. If you haven't got shellfish allergy, that's the one that I'm, I so wish I could eat. So, is it served? What's it served with? It's kind of served in its own big pot and broth and you keep breaking it up and it's got that lovely kind of like warmth and spice of Singaporean flavors coming through it oh that sounds delicious I'd love to eat there one day so finally chapter four is the destination at the top of your Singapore travel bucket list when you go back there is there somewhere that you'd like to go or something that you'd like to do that you've not yet done 100% the Grand Prix so oh, yeah. I'm a big motorsport fan. I, lo- I love the Grand Prix and I've not, I've not done the Singapore Grand Prix and it's a night race, which is also super exceptional. It looks amazing. The noise is incredible, Grand Prix racing. I love it. Uh, but then that added excitement of it being a night race, that's for me. So I'd love to go back for the Singapore Grand Prix. That sounds like it would be an electric atmosphere. Well, thank you so much, Tom. It has been so lovely to touch base again, to be transported to Singapore. My mouth is simply watering thinking of all of those delicious meals so yeah a real pleasure thank you so much those were your singaporean travel diaries pleasures on mine thank you Well, we know we can get some great food in Singapore. Thank you so much to Tom for rejoining me on the podcast. It was so nice to see him again. He's such a, he's got such a lovely energy about him. And I really felt his true passion for Singapore, for Singaporean food, for Singaporean culture. It was lovely. So now we're going to dive a bit deeper into what else Singapore has to offer to travellers. And travel writer Annabelle Thorpe is here to help us with that. Annabelle, welcome to The Travel Diaries. Thank you so much for joining me today on this spectacular Singapore special. Lovely to see you. How are you? I'm delighted to be here. Um, thank you so much for for having me on to talk about um, one of my favourite places. So it means a lot to you, Singapore? It does. I think it's, it's you know, sometimes I think you go somewhere and you, and you connect with with a place perhaps not in a way that you you wouldn't have expected and then and it really kind of gets under your skin and you come back and you just think I just want to go back as soon as possible and and that's kind of Singapore for me. That's amazing and I mean we've just heard from Tom Kerridge who as we were just chatting about before we got recording you know he clearly has a a real passion for Singapore too. Yeah, I, I, listening to him, I can hear the same. I think because it, it's an extraordinary place. It's it's so small, and it combines this this extraordinary skyline with you know sort of futuristic 
skyscrapers and architecture and then you've got all this lush sort of parks and rainforests and so I think it it, it it's it's such an unusual destination and everything is in such a small space that it's very very easy to get to know Mm. Yeah. And I mean, he really brought to life, obviously, as we'd expect, um, his love of the food scene there. And it was interesting because, I mean, he touched on the hawker culture, but we did, he didn't really go into it in that much depth. It was something I was interested to chat to you about because UNESCO actually recognised hawker culture in Singapore as a living heritage, such as the importance that they put on it. So, I mean, how would you describe to the listeners what the hawker culture is in Singapore? I think if you imagine a kind of uh, a food food market sort of merge with a sort of community meeting place. So, so the old, so some of them date back, they sort of started in the, in the 1800s, in the mid 1800s, I think. And when street hawkers um, used to sell food and they were developed as a place that was perhaps a little bit more sanitary and that people could come together and eat rather than eating on the street. And the ones that remain that are sort of, you know, unchanged mm-hmm. are very simple, as Tom was saying. It's, you know, plastic seats and, you know, kind of wipe clean tables. And then around the edge of the tables, there are individual food stalls and stands and pretty much each one just serves one dish. And so you you go and you and you sort of one person can go and get a laksa and one person can go and get a chicken rice and somebody else can go and get a nasi goreng. And and you can sort of try the sort of the, the, the different cuisines that, that make up Singaporean food all in this, this one place. I mean, some of them are quite are quite basic, but I think, you know, that's that's part of the interest in being there this Mm. is somewhere that Singaporeans come Mm. you know to to get to get a quick easy meal yeah and and I guess the fact that they tend to only serve one dish it's that that thing where if you serve one thing it's going to be amazing because you've perfected it absolutely I I read I I I think this is right that there are 40 hawker stalls in Singapore now that either have a Michelin star or a bib gourmand so it's that's it's, extraordinary isn't it you can you know you go to these places and they look very basic but you're just going to eat the best food, whether or not it's got a, you know, a Michelin star. It's these people cook this one dish every day, all day, and they are just delicious. So um, we're going to kind of uncover some of your Singaporean travel diaries as well, given that you know the destination as well as you do. I'm really curious to know your all-time favourite destination in Singapore. Where would you pick out of all the kind of different places that you could visit there? Do you know, it's so difficult. I was thinking about this because it's such a diverse place. But one of the places I really love is the Botanic Gardens. So most people know the gardens on the bay, which is the is the new gardens with those amazing um, sort of tr- trees that are, that, are, that are sort of 80 foot high. The ones that are lit um, up at night. Exactly. So that's the gardens on the bay. But further in, in the hinterland of the island is the Botanic Gardens. And they're just beautiful and they have a real elegance and a sense of old Singapore about them. And they're also home to the National Orchid Collection. And I can't tell you the, the amount of different orchids, the colours, these vibrant pinks and purples and scarlets and whites and just this almost overwhelming array of beautiful, beautiful flowers. And it's such a contrast because Singapore is a very busy place you know it's it's hustle and bustle and busy streets and shopping malls and whatever and then you're in this oh this real oasis mm. that's just beautiful and best of all 
there is a hawker center the adam road food center just across the road so you you know you've got you've got your lovely walk and then a nice bit of lunch afterwards so for me that's that's always somewhere that I go to. That sounds like a lovely like excursion for the day, like a lovely way to spend the day when you're there. Yeah, I mean it's it's in the, nothing is very far away in Singapore, so you know it's it's an easy bus ride or, or a hop in a cab. That's the beauty of it. You know, it's, nothing takes more than sort of twenty minutes, half an hour to get to at most. Oh, that's so nice, isn't it? When you when you feel like you could head somewhere for a holiday, and actually cover quite a lot of ground. Absolutely. And I think this is the thing with Singapore, because you've also got Sentosa Island. So if you want that, which is, again, is about 20 minutes um, drive from the centre. If you want that palm back beach, golden sands, beach clubs, you know, that kind of vibe and go and, and you just want to have a day lying on the beach, then you've got that as well. Yeah, I mean, I suppose when I think about Singapore, like a lot of people, I do think about the skyscrapers and I don't think about the fact that you could have a gorgeous day on the beach, but it's it's all there. Absolutely. And Sentosa's got some beautiful beach clubs. And I think people do, you know, know Singapore for its architecture, but actually half of the island's land is under green cover. There's loads of pockets and parks and reserves to explore and I think it's part of the problem because it's perceived often as a stopover destination. So people are only there for sort of 48 hours and they want to tick off. They want to go up Marina Bay Sands. You know, they want to do the boat trip. They want to do those big hitters. But actually, if you, ha- if you have a little more time there and you really get under the surface, there's so much more to discover than, you know, these incredible buildings. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are so many nature reserves and urban farms I've I've read about in the city as well. Um, Duron Lake looks absolutely beautiful. Yes, it is. It is gorgeous, and um, and Bukit Timar nature, nature Reserve as well is is which is right in the centre, which is lovely. Um, and it's extraordinary the amount of different trees. It's got more trees, more different trees in one hectare than the whole of the United States. Oh my goodness! I know. I know it's mind-boggling it's mind-boggling and there's just lovely hiking trails um and it's got a you know I think Singapore's highest hill is in that reserve so you know it, obviously go early morning because as, again as Tom was saying it does get very hot and very humid but if you can make it up that hill you have the most beautiful view mm, what a great tip thank you so for people who are heading there maybe for the first time and they're thinking about where would be best to stay do you have any favourite spots that you like to recommend? Either, you know, maybe a, a higher price point place, a more luxury splash out destination, and maybe a place that might be better suited for a budget? Absolutely. I think in the last 10 years or so, there's been, a, there's been an explosion in, in kind of really nice budget boutique hotels. I mean, nothing is super budget in Singapore, but, you know, kind of there are hotels that are, you know, around the £100 a night mark. And one of my favourites in the Talok Aya neighbourhood, which is right in the centre, is the Anxiang House, which feels a bit like a, a, a British inn, but it's got this lovely, you know, proper Asian feel. Um, and it's great value. And it's, it, it's, in, it's one of those locations where you just walk out the door and everything's sort of there waiting for you. Um, that sounds so great. that that's if I'm staying there and, and you know trying to do it on a little bit of budget then then that's where I would book mm-hmm. as for the luxury options where to start I really, mean this is, yeah. this is a city with beautiful hotels Raffles has had a major refit so I stayed there just before they closed for the refit I haven't been able to get back since but it is a tremendously elegant hotel 
But I think for me, one of the ones that I love is the Capella, um, which is it sprawls across these hillsides and it and faces the South China Sea. So you've got these mm. beautiful, glittering sea views. And again, as Tom was saying, you know, the amount of tankers and boats, because it is a big port. So you've got this this extraordinary view of the sea. And also that slight sense, which I think for a first time is quite nice, of, of just being slightly removed from the hecticness of it. So, you, you know, you sort of retreat into this cocoon of a hotel, which is what the Capella is, yeah. um, for, for a bit of peace and quiet. And then you sort of, you know, you go back out into the, into the hubbub again. But that, that sounds absolutely beautiful. In terms of the architecture, I mean, does it vary significantly? I mean, what, in terms of the history, like somewhere like Raffles, I mean, that is kind of more historic would you say? Yeah, there's, there's, there's an. I think this is one of the things that always that really surprised me about Singapore is the amount of history and the amount of historic buildings that there are. So you've got these glittering skyscrapers, and then you've got a sort of whitewashed Anglican church that yeah. you know looks like it's been transported straight out of an out, out of a village in the Cotswolds. <laughs> and and it's the it's the combination of these two things. I think there is so much of you know the history still there mm. but and and it's very easy to to sort of you know you just walk around this is the other thing it's a very walkable city again if you stick to the shade and you know don't go out in in the kind of the hottest part of the day and you just stumble across these these sort of historic buildings in the middle of this futuristic city that's such an interesting juxtaposition i'm not sure i mean i'm you know i'm not sure there is anywhere quite like singapore i mean yeah, you know i've been to Kuala Lumpur and, and, and Hong, I mean, Hong Kong is very different because I think with Singapore, it's the, it's like a melange of Chinese and Indian and Malaysian and Arabic. And, and it's all there. And there are all these different neighborhoods and they're all cheek by jowl with each other. So you, you, you just sort of walk, walk through different cultures and ethnicities and food, you know, all you can sort of be four countries in a day that's amazing I mean like you say like I, you know it is a country that is rooted in these kind of both ancient traditions and modern trends and these different districts kind of help to bring those different aspects to, to life I mean in terms of the cultural element if you wanted to really get under the skin of Singapore's culture what would you kind of recommend that somebody did to, to get a feel for for the the cultural history of the country well, I, it's not a particularly interesting suggestion, but I have to say the National Museum is great. If you want to, if you want to get a sense of of the vibrancy of Singapore's history, it, it, it's one of it's not it's not a dry museum. It's loads of you know great photographs of you know all the Chinese junk boats and the traders, and and you can get a real sense of 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 what an incredibly intoxicating place it was a hundred years ago when it was real centre of trade. And then I think I would say, you know, just walk. You know, it's it's it is a very walkable city. You know, you walk past the old shop, shop houses in Chinatown, and you know, through the little alleyways in in Little India. And I think it's very easy to just whiz around on the metro and go, well, I must tick off this place and I must tick off that place. But actually, there's no better way to get under the skin of anywhere really than just to walk, to sit in a cafe to watch to watch you know local people just going about their business mm, completely and I mean something that we you know as travelers as travel journalists care so much about now and moving forward is the sustainability angle you know really it's a, a priority for everyone 
Singapore really is one of the greenest cities in the world. I, I mean, it, it, how do you see that reflected in day-to-day life? Well, I think the fact that it, you know, that it is a garden city, you know, they have regular sort of symposiums on how to how to become more sustainable. So Sentosa um, is going to be carbon neutral by 2030. Um, so Sentosa is the island that you mentioned. Sentosa is yeah. the beach island. The beach yes, island, that's yeah. right. But I think you can see it in the way that it's developing now as well. So, you know, there are still these extraordinary high rises going up, but you look up and 20 floors up, there's a big gap and there's a massive garden. I love that. I've seen that in photos. It does seem like kind of quite utopian in a way with the amount of, even at the airport, it's very kind of verdant. Absolutely. And you get the sense that, um, you know, if, if, it, if the greenery wasn't controlled, it would just take over the city. It, you know, it's everywhere. It's, it's, you've got sort of shoots of ivy creeping out of cracks in the walls by the dual carriageways and great sort of jacaranda trees sort of blossoming over the buildings. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's so lush. And you just think, yes, nature could, could reclaim this very, very easily. And that's why it's known as a city in nature. Yes. And I think there's a real sense of how rich it is, you know, in in its kind of greenness and and a, and a determination to try and ensure that that remains. So how about your hidden gem, a place that you love in Singapore that maybe you wouldn't find just on your first visit somewhere a bit under the skin? Well, I'm, I am quite a, a sort of tragic history girl um, and I love Fort Canning Park. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's another green space. Um, but it's 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 really steeped in history. So it's, it dates back to medieval times. It's where the Malay royal family ruled in the medieval period, mm. and then it's you know then it's where the British surrendered to the Japanese. Um, and there's all sorts of different historical buildings dotted through the park. But also these days it hosts like lots of concerts and performances, and you can go up there in the evening, and it's a bit cooler. Um, but it, again, it's it's somewhere that that Singaporeans w- would go and know, I think, more than visitors. It's not somewhere that you'd necessarily go on your first time. But it's a little sort of kind of secret area of Singaporean history. Um, again, just all situated in a, in a beautiful green space. Amazing. And how about then, finally, when you head back next to Singapore, where will you be going to first? Where are you most excited to get back to? You know, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take uh, the metro and I'm going to go to the Fullerton Road and I'm going to walk across and sit on the promenade on the other side of the Fullerton Road. And it looks across to Marina Bay Sands, which is that extraordinary building with the it's the largest overhanging structure in the world with the with the boat at the top. And then you've got the um, Arts and Sciences Museum underneath it, which looks like a big white tulip coming out of the water. Mm. And I'm just going to sit and look. And then you can see the the super trees, um, you know, behind in the gardens of the bay. I'm just going to sit there and look and think this is one of the most unbelievable cities in the world and how fantastic it is to be back and how lucky I am to be here. Oh, that is so nice. Thank you so much, Annabelle, for bringing to life Singapore in such a gorgeous way. So many tips, so many recommendations for my listeners. Cannot wait to get there. So thank you so much. My absolute pleasure. Oh, there we go. Singapore does sound truly spectacular. 
For me, I just really love the idea of it being such a manageable destination, having heard all of that, that you'll come away from a holiday feeling like you've seen a lot of a country. I love that the water is always nearby, that the urban gardens are juxtaposed with a super futuristic architecture, and obviously sensational food and hotels. It ticks, it ticks a lot of boxes, doesn't it, for a great holiday. If you want to find out more about Singapore... As I always say, the tourist board website is a really good starting point. That would be visitsingapore.com. I was looking at it just now, actually. I like that it has um, different itineraries for different lengths of stay. I always find those quite interesting to look at. And of course, support your favorite travel magazines and newspapers. There are some fabulous articles and guides available online to help with planning your trip. Thanks so much for listening today. If you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to hit subscribe or if you're using Apple Podcasts to hit follow so that a new episode lands in your podcast app each week. If you're loving the podcast, it would be amazing if you could take a minute to leave a rating or a review on your podcast app. To find out who's joining me on next week's episode, come and follow me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein. And if you can't wait till then, remember there's six seasons you can catch up on, 73 episodes and counting. And don't forget that all the destinations mentioned on each episode are listed in my episode show notes. And they're also on my website, thetraveldiariespodcast.com. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. And I'll be back next week. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.